Hey guys, this is Everything Missing or Murdered Podcast. My name is Andrea. I'll be talking about um, two really old cold cases today um, that have not been solved. And um, they're really, really old. (laughs) I'm not joking. Um, But I still feel like even if they're very old and you can't arrest anybody, that doesn't mean they shouldn't have answers. So I've said that before and I'll keep saying that every time I do old cases. If old cases aren't your thing, that's fine. Um, it is for me because I I like to try to talk and bring awareness to cases even if they've never been solved. So that's why I chose these two cases. Um, and then also in true crime news, um, I'm sure people have heard already, but JonBenet Ramsey's case is going, the Boulder Police Department is going to be giving it over to um, a cold case unit, which is great. That's great news. Um, Next year, I don't know if we'll find out about the DNA really fast because, you know, it takes a while. So we'll just have to, we'll just have to wait on that. Hopefully something good can come out of this. Um, Because I, you know, I've been on many rants about it, but I'm so like upset about the fact that, that this case hasn't been solved and that there's DNA in the case and they still haven't tested it. It, it, you know, the, her dad offered to pay for it because they were, the Boulder police said that they didn't have the funds or whatever. And it's like, okay, but if he's offering you money, you should, you should take it. I, I don't understand. Um, it is what it is, you know. So I'm hoping that this cold case unit, when 2023 comes around, will find some answers. Um, now, I'm not expecting answers to be told to me personally because I'm not involved in the case, but I'm hoping that the, the family, I support the family. I hope the family will get the answers they deserve. So there we go. Um, all right. So the first case I'm going to be talking about is the unsolved murder in room 1046. In the afternoon of January 2nd, 1935, a man checked into the President Hotel in Kansas City. This man had no luggage with him. He had a comb and a toothbrush, but that's about it. He asked for an interior room on a high floor of the hotel. He checked in under the name of Roland T. Owen. He apparently complained that the hotels in the area um, were really expensive, but I don't really know what they could do about it. I guess they just let him vent This man's room is 1046, and it's on the 10th floor. Now, the staff at the President Hotel thought this man, who claims to be Roland, was a bit odd, but they didn't want to get involved because there is a lot of people that stay at this very hotel who just, you know, want to be left alone or have late-night company. Either way, whatever business they have going on, they try not to get involved in it. On January 3rd, the next day, a hotel maid... Uh, her name is Mary, stopped by to clean room 1046. Usually people were out for the day, so, you know, she figured, okay, the occupant of 1046 would be out too, but his room was locked from the inside. The maid knocked on room 1046 and Roland opened the door. He insisted to come back later, but she eventually got into the room. Or no, no, he didn't insist. She insisted that she'd come back later. But eventually she got into the room um, to clean. The room was really dark. All the window shades closed. The only light in the room was from a, a lamp, like a really small lamp that was dim. I mean, whatever floats your boat. 
Roland was going to leave, but he told the maid that he had a friend coming over and asked her not to lock the door. Some hours later, um, Mary went back to room 1046. Bringing some towels and she saw that the door was unlocked. She goes in and sees Roland laying fully clothed on top of his bed, sleeping. His bed was made still. It sounds like he just fell asleep on top of the covers. There was a note on his table that said, Don, I will be back in 15 minutes. Who is Don? And I'm sorry, but if, if you're leaving a note that says I'll be back in 15 minutes, why are you asleep on the bed? Maybe that's what he meant or the, like he placed it there before. And well, I don't know if she would have noticed it before. It's just an odd situation. On January 4th, things just kept getting even more strange. If you didn't think it already wasn't strange. Around 1030, Mary stopped by to make the beds and saw that Roland T. Owen's room 1046 was locked from the outside this time. Mary didn't think that meant he was still there, so she used her master key to get in. But Roland was in the room, in the dark, again, and the phone rings. He says to whoever it is on the phone, um, we're going to just say it's Don because that's what he says. He says, no, Don, I don't want to eat. I'm not hungry. I just had breakfast. No, I'm not hungry. Roland hung up the phone and asked Mary some questions about her job and the hotel. He asked her how many rooms she was in charge of, what kind of people lived if they did live in the hotel, um, and he complained again about the prices of other hotels in the area. He really doesn't like those prices, I guess. I wonder why this one was better. Maybe it was just cheaper than the other ones. Mary answered all his questions and finished her job. Why was the door locked from the outside? Did someone lock him in his own room? Um, but if you can lock it on the inside or outside, surely he can get back out, right? I really don't know how that works. Later that day, Mary goes back to room 1046. Um, she needed to replace the old towels with fresh ones. She took the older ones out when she cleaned earlier. She knocked and heard two voices this time. She said that she had fresh towels. A louder voice and deeper than Roland's said to leave that they had enough towels. But, I mean, she cleaned out the other ones, so clearly they didn't have hardly any towels. That same day, two new guests have come to the hotel to check in. Well, technically, the second one's not much of a guest, but I'll get into that. The first guest, Jean Owen, she is not related to Roland. Um, she had come to Kansas City to meet her boyfriend for the day. Instead of driving all the way back to where she lived, um, she decided to stay at night in the hotel. She was given the room number 1048, which is right next to Roland T. Owen's room. That night, Jean would report to have heard a lot of noise that was coming from next door and um well she thought it was from next door or at least on the same floor and it seemed to have been a man and a woman talking loudly and they seemed to be swearing at each other she was going to call the front desk but did not the other hotel guest i mentioned was well like i said not really a guest she was a commercial woman who frequented the room of the hotel's male patrons late at night this, this is all coming from an um, eleva elevator operator and a bellhop who was there that night. 
On January 4th, this woman came into the hotel looking for a man who was staying in room 1026. She couldn't find this man she was looking for. Um, she searched for a while for him on a lot of different floors and gave up. The next day, on January 5th, a bellhop received a call from the operator of the hotel. The phone in room 1046 was off the hook for 10 minutes without anyone using it. The bellhop went to check and saw the door to room 1046 was locked with a do not disturb, disturb sign on the doorknob. The bellhop knocked on the door and Roland, or who they think was Roland anyway, told him to come in, but the door was locked so he couldn't. He told Roland as... Well, he told Roland this, and Roland did not respond. The bellhop knocked again. This time, he yelled for Roland to hang up his phone because, you know, maybe Roland was drunk or something, and it just was knocked off, or he just forgot to hang up the phone, even though he didn't really seem to have used it. I, I don't know. An hour and a half later, the phone operator called again, saying the phone in room 1046 was still off the hook. The bellhop went to Roland T. Owen's room and used the master key to go inside. Roland T. Owen was laying naked on the bed. The bellhop put the phone back on the hook and locked the door behind him. He reported what he saw in the room to the hotel manager. An hour later, the phone operator calls again. Why? Well, the phone in room 1046 is off the hook again and not being used again. What is going on here? The same bellhop at all the different times this happened went back up to that room again, unlocked the room again and guess what they find roland t owen was sitting curled up in the corner of the room his head in his hands and he had a lot of stab wounds the bed sheets and towels were stained with blood and the walls were covered with it as well the police were called and roland was taken to the hospital they found that roland's arms legs and neck were restrained by a cord and his chest had multiple stab wounds he had a punctured lung and a fractured skull Roland T. Owen um, is no longer alive. He didn't survive his injuries. The doctors think the wounds of Roland um, that Roland suffered were way before the bellhop first first time in the room that day. The reason for that uh, the phone being off the hook could be him trying to call for help. So maybe that person who said come in wasn't him. I mean, how freaky would that be? Kind of like when that mysterious person and in the investor who waved at people and they thought they knew who it was um and it and it really wasn't who they thought it was so you know stuff like that just is freaky i mean i can't imagine it gets even more weird if this case wasn't already weird none of roland's clothes were in the room soap that the hotel gives you and toothpaste were gone as well they did not find a murder weapon either the police found four fingerprints on the phone stand but they were never identified, which I think is odd. But, um, and the fingerprints, so obviously they matched it with Roland too, but they didn't match. And then um, they're smaller fingerprints. So originally they thought maybe it could have been a woman. Oh, and get this. Roland T. Owen does not exist. There is no record of anyone by that name that lived anywhere in the United States. And they asked the public to come forward with any information on this victim. A hotel that Roland complained about um, came forward saying a man that matched his description had stayed at their hotel on January 1st, but not as Roland, but as Eugene K. Scott. Take a wild guess at what 
we're going to find out next. There is no man named Eugene K. Scott on record ever in the United States. So there's no record of Roland T. Olin. There's no record of Eugene K. Scott. Who is this guy? For months, people have tried to identify this man, but nothing really happened about it because it wasn't for sure. The case goes cold. The police give this mysterious man of room 1046 a burial. They had a small funeral for him and a bouquet of flowers and a donation to cover the costs showed up with a letter that just said, Love forever, Lucille. Who is Lucille? Is that the woman that they claimed searched for a guy all night? Or was she just a random person? I mean, who is Lucille? One year later, a woman claimed that Roland slash Eugene was her son who was missing for years. She said his actual name was Artemis Ogletree and that he had been staying at another Kansas City hotel at the time he went missing. What was he doing there? Here are some theories unconfirmed. The man that Roland slash Artemis slash Eugene's um, referred to as Don beat him to death in room 1046 and he did it alone. The police were never able to figure out who Don even was, though. Um, there was an elevator operator that worked that night. Um, the theory is that this Don didn't act alone. So this is the second theory. This is only coming from the elevator operator named Charles Blocker. The operator saw the commercial woman going to the 10th floor. Remember, she claimed she was looking for room 1026, looking for a man. Maybe, like I said but maybe she was actually really looking for 1046 and she was looking for Artemis slash Eugene slash Roland. Um, I'm going to go with Artemis though, because um, it seems like that is what the police are going with that Artemis Ogletree is who he really is. Um, Charles also later saw her with a man from the ninth floor and it is speculated that that is Don. But again, we don't know. And remember, Jean Owen heard a woman next door that night, so it's very possible. But again, this is just a theory. Another theory came from an article that was published years later that said that Artemis Ogletree was killed for being unfaithful. This article was published in the Newcastle Sun called Mystery Murder in Room 1046. A woman called the paper to say you have a story in your paper that is wrong. Roland Owen will not be buried in a pauper's grave. Arrangements have been made for his funeral. She was asked to say who she really was and what happened to this man that was only known as Roland at the time. But she didn't say anything and hung up. A man called the funeral home where Roland was and said, don't bury Owen in a pauper grave. I want you to bury him in Memorial Park Cemetery. Then he will be near my sister. And the person said they would send funds to cover all expenses I just what this man apparently said that roland had cheated on a girl he was engaged to and that in room 1046 he roland and the fiance had a meeting makes sense about the female voice maybe because they heard two male or a male and a female so it's possible he said cheaters usually get what's coming to them whatever that means a floral company was called asking for roses to be sent to Roland Owen's funeral, and he's doing it for his sister. So that there's that. Um, so yeah, this case is kind of crazy, and that is that is it. I mean, we we're gonna kind of go with because if you Google 
the um, mysterious man in room 1046, this mysterious murder in 1046, um, Ar Artemis Ogletree comes up a lot. So I'm just going to go with that's who we think it really is, but I'm, it's not a hundred. I don't think it's a hundred percent. Um, but, um, Artemis Ogletree has been missing since he was 17. So it's very possible it was him. Um, and there's not much on, there's not much else on this case. Unfortunately, it's really messed up that that there isn't much going on. Um, and uh, I just wish, I don't like theories on cases, but I wanted to give that to you because it's such an interesting, I don't know who Dawn is. I don't know who the mysterious like lady of the night was um, or if his fiance had anything to do with it or her fiance's brother. I mean, who says cheaters get what's coming to them i personally don't like cheaters either but who says that who threatens people like that yeah, it's just odd to me but yeah so if you google um artemis ogletree it'll have the picture of um the mysterious man from room 1046 and he does look young so it's i they the police think it's him no idea. It's a huge mystery and it's not solved. Um, and it's, it's really unfortunate that it's not solved because, you know, he deserves justice too. I'm not saying that he'll probably get it in terms of like arresting somebody because this was a long time ago, 1935. Um, but it still needs to be It still needs to be figured out, I think. Like, people need to, like, get answers, in my opinion. Everyone deserves an answer. So, and that's all the, that's basically everything from this case, unfortunately. Um, but there's a lot of. Uh, theories in that case um, that I didn't list, uh, but I will give you articles that I read if you want to learn 100% more. I gave you all the main facts um, that I could give you. I try not to give too many theories because there's just so many on this one, and it's definitely a mystery and needs to be figured out, like I said, but I don't know. I don't know if all these, all these uh, different theories would help a case or not, so that's why I won't be mentioning them, um, but I will list all the articles that I read about this case so you guys can read more if you want to. And yeah, like I said, unfortunately, that's everything on this case. Um, the next case um, that I'm going to be talking about is the unsolved murders of Edward Hall and Eleanor Mills. On September 16th, 1922, the bodies of a reverend by the name of Edward Hall and his mistress, Eleanor Miller Mills, were found under a crabapple tree in New Brunswick, New Jersey. And this is a huge scandal. It's it's like, you know, when O.J. Simpson trial happened, it's like that big of a scandal. Um, mainly because, you know, Edward Hall is a church man and Eleanor Mills is a church man, uh, woman. And, you know, she, she was, um, she sang in the choir and he was a reverend and, um, yeah, they had an affair. <laughs> so that's what I mean by scandal. 
On September 14, 1922, Eleanor Mills left her house on 49 Carmen Street in New Brunswick, New Jersey. She is married, by the way. She did not tell her husband or her children where she was going. She left around 7.30 that night. She apparently had a meeting made earlier that day talking about payment she had to pay. Eleanor was going to meet Reverend Edward Hall at the local church. The year before, he gave her some money to pay for a surgery that she could not afford on her own. Now Edward Hall had dinner with his wife, Frances Hall. Yep, he's married too. And his brother-in-law, William Stevens, before he left his house on 23 Nickel Avenue in New Brunswick. Edward told his wife where he was going. He also said he would not be long. So it's kind of kind of weird. Around 2.30 in the morning, Frances got her brother, William, and told him that Edward is not home and asked William to go with her to see if Edward was still at the church. It's a really long time to spend at the church, though. Holy crap. I don't, I don't know. The church was St. John, the evangelist church. The church was dark. Um, they decided to wait until the morning. By the afternoon the next day, on the 15th, Frances Hall reported Edward Hall missing. In the morning of September 16, 1922, a man named Raymond Schneider and a woman named Pearl Baumer were walking on DeRussey's Lane. They saw two bodies under a crabapple tree. They were on their back, side by side, and fully clothed. The man's face was covered with a hat, and his right arm was placed under the female's head. Her left arm was placed resting on his knee. So do you think they died like that? laying like that or do you think they were posed because there's a lot of theories on that one kind of sounds like they were posed there was a business card that was found that had the name reverend edward hall on it the woman was identified as eleanor mills there was a paper found near them they were ripped love letters between edward and eleanor Yep, they're married, and they're having an affair. Edward Hall was shot once in his skull just over his right ear, and it exited out through the neck. Eleanor had three shots to the face. Her throat was cut ear to ear, and um, she was almost decapitated. So the theory is um, she was the main target, or they both were, but whoever did this didn't like her the most. I mean, because it's overkill, in my opinion. And... The question is, they probably were placed there, not killed there. People trampled the crime scene. I mean, people even messed with the crabapple tree. So there isn't much left of the crabapple tree. That's how bad people wanted to see what was going on. There was no murder weapon at the crime scene. Another theory is they were not killed there or someone before the police got there could have taken the murder weapon. First suspects that were well, suspected were James Eleanor uh, Mills' husband and Francis Edwards' wife. The affair was apparently very well known with the locals and the church parishioners, but James and Francis, they denied any knowledge of any affair. The police even looked into William Stevens and Henry Stevens. They were brothers of Francis Hall. They found a 32 caliber shell casing at the crime scene. William Stevens owned a 32 caliber revolver. He says he had not used it in over a decade, and they even looked at the gun. It didn't even work, so he wasn't lying. Henry was the oldest, and he was rich. 
He also knew about guns and was a great marksman. Henry lived 50 miles away in Lavalette, New Jersey. He had an alibi for the 14th, which is when they presumed to have been killed. Several people saw him. A week after Edward was killed, Francis sent a lot of clothes to be cleaned and dyed black in Philadelphia. I mean, it's odd, but not incriminating. I wonder why she would send that out of state, though. I mean, it's only an hour away from Philadelphia, but still. On October 24th, Jane Gibson, who was a pig farmer, she told police that she had witnessed the Hall Mills murders. At around 9 p.m. the September 14th, or on September 14th, Jane's dogs were barking really loudly. She thought someone was trying to steal her corn, and she went out to see what was going on. She saw someone in the distance, and she went to go see what was going on. Jane saw four people near the crab apple tree on DeRussey's Lane. There was a gunshot. One person fell to the ground, and there was screaming from a woman, not to shoot, I would presume, or she was just screaming. More gunshots, and a second person fell. Jane left um, because she claimed, but while she was leaving, she claimed to have heard another scream that said Henry. So Jane claimed they were standing. Well, the police think Edward was killed while he was laying on the ground. Jane also seemed to add more details or altered it while they talked. So every time she was interviewed, she would change something because she said she originally saw silhouettes. Um, she then would add seeing a car parked near the location and another car passed by the headlights shone and on the people and got her, it, it gave her a good look at the people by the tree. I can see why that is concerning. The group was of two men and two women. One woman was, wearing a long coat, and one of the men had bushy hair and a mustache. Jane Gibson adds that she heard an argument concerning some notes before one woman tried to run away. She did not. This same woman was brought back and was killed. On Jane's 23rd interview, no, excuse me, wow, 23rd interview. She didn't have 23 interviews. I'm so sorry that I read that wrong. On Jane's third interview, she added more detail. Um, she said that around 1 in the morning, she went back to the spot because she apparently dropped something. Why didn't she call the police? Under the tree where this happened, she saw a woman knelt beside the male victims crying. According to Jane Gibson, this was Frances Hall. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Her story sounds really odd. What do you guys think? She keeps adding stuff to her story, so it's, it's always a red flag when somebody does that. A Mrs. Fraley comes into this situation. She lived close to the crab apple tree on DeRussey's Lane, where this murder supposedly took place. That spot you could see from an upstairs window. That's how close she was. She heard nothing that night, so that's odd. Mrs. Fraley talked to Jane Gibson on September 15th, and she made no mention of anything that happened that night the night before. So it's, it's this whole thing. Not only did Jane Gibson say that Francis Hall was someone, uh, involved another. So she said that Francis Hall was someone involved, but there was another person, a male attacker. Um, and she believes that was Henry Carpenter, Francis Hall's older brother. Well, not older brother, um, cousin. He lived two doors down and he had an alibi that he was eating with friends and his wife. These people backed Henry Carpenter up. On November 20th, 1922, prosecutors took the case in front of Somersville Grand Jury. It took eight days, 67 witnesses to give evidence 
to give what they saw or what they think they saw. Mrs. Fraley, who heard nothing, changed her story. She now says she heard gunshots around 10 that night on the 14th. On November 28th, Jane Gibson was called to the stand and gave her evidence. After an hour of deliberation, there was nothing sufficient enough for an indictment. Yeah, so that's what I mean by this is a huge scandal. Not only was there, you know, people just trampling all over evidence and touching certain stuff that they shouldn't have been touching. There was like a lot of true crime fanatics in that time period even that just trampled all over the place. It was all of them basically. There was too much foot traffic. Um, And then having this affair between a reverend and a... uh, a choir singer in the church. I mean, that's nuts. And then, um, and then having these two witnesses, well, one of them, Jane Gibson is a huge, uh, she's a huge factor for the prosecution. So it's like, I don't know how they thought that that was going to work because she changed her story so much. On July 3rd, 1926, which is four years later, a piano tuner named Arthur Real filed a petition for divorce from his wife of 10 months. He claims his wife took $5,000 from her employer for assistance and silence about the murders of Edward Hall and Eleanor Mills. Mills, excuse me. Her employer was Mrs. Frances Hall. Arthur Reel's wife was Louise Geist, who was a former maid of the Halls. She gave evidence in defense of Frances Hall before the grand jury in 1922. Arthur said his wife had confessed to him that Edward had confided in her his plans to elope with Eleanor. I mean, how without a divorce? How did that work back then? Louise told Frances about it. She told her about where Edward and Eleanor were going to meet. Frances then was driven with her brother, William, to that location. Louise, however, denies these allegations, and so does Peter Tumulty, the driver of Francis Hall. Louise claims her husband had threatened to implicate her in the murders if she did not get back with him. The story was picked up by the press and it even went to the New Jersey governor, Harry Moore. Harry Moore ordered prosecutors to relook at the case, which something needs to be looked at. On July 28th, Francis Hall and her brothers, William and Henry Stevens and her, her cousin, Henry Carpenter, were arrested for the murders of Edward Hall and Eleanor Mills. A new autopsy was performed on Eleanor Mills. Eleanor's tongue and larynx had been cut out, so not only did she get shot three times in the face, she had her throat slit from ear to ear. Um, she also had her tongue and larynx cut out. There was two other autopsies performed before this, and this was not found before. I don't, I don't understand. On November 3rd, 1926, the trial began of Francis, William, and Henry, but not Henry Carpenter because he was tried separately. Well, apparently he was never actually tried. Jane Gibson was a witness yet again for this trial. She came on a stretcher because she was sick. I guess someone yelled out that she was a liar in court before anything was able to be said, and it was her own mother that said that. I mean, her story was full of changes, so I I get it. Jane said now that she saw William and Henry along with her sister Frances and Henry Carpenter, like she said in 1922. 
So she didn't see Henry Carpenter at all. It doesn't make sense why you would lie about that. But she did say she saw four people. Two men and two women. Right? Well, Edward would be a third man. That would equal five people, not four. Because you you still had William and Henry um, Stevens. So that doesn't really compute. (laughs) She doesn't really seem reliable. It was pointed out that Jane could not pick out the suspect. She only was able to later because she saw Francis Hall's picture in the newspaper. According to a neighbor of Jane's, she offered him money if he supported her statements. Yeah, this person is not a reliable witness. The business card that was found at the scene had partial fingerprints that belonged to William Stevens. The defense said that it wasn't true because that card had a lot of other prints, not just his. Well, I mean, like I said, several people touched everything at that crime scene. Someone else saw Henry Stevens, though, that night of the 14th, a man by the name of Ralph Goslin. He apparently used to be with Eleanor Mills. Um, and she had a, other suitors, not just Edward Hall. Um, said he saw Henry fired two warning shots at him and he left the area. Jane heard four shots. If these two warning shots happened, then maybe she heard... more than that so she would have heard six or maybe she didn't hear anything or maybe everybody's lying i i you know you never know it's just kind of crazy a former state trooper henry dickman claimed he was paid twenty five hundred dollars by henry carpenter in order to drop any investigation into the halls or carpenters in the involvement of the hall mills murders The defense revealed that Henry had only just been released from Alcatraz, where he spent time as a military deserter, so he wasn't a credible witness. Francis Hall and William Stevens took the stand. Both denied any role in this. Henry had witnesses to where he was that night, so it makes sense. This trial lasted a month. There was 157 witnesses as well. On December 3, 1926, and only five hours of deliberating, the verdict of Francis Hall, William Stevens, and Henry Stevens, um, they were all acquitted. I mean, there was no real evidence against them at all. Yeah, someone saw them, but that same person kept changing their story, so I, I don't know. Lots of confessions happened after that, though. All have been proven false. One such claim was from a man from Oklahoma on April 18, 1928. A man named Elwin F. Allen. He was an adventurer and a former Oklahoma prisoner. He signed a confession to the Hall Mills case of New Jersey. He claimed he shot and killed Edward Hall and Eleanor Mills near Brunswick, New Jersey on September 24, 1922. For a car and $5,000, but that was found to be false because obviously this didn't happen on the 24th it happened on the 14th so yeah that's false over the years the police thought jane gibson was a suspect she changed her story so many times but that could also be for many different reasons she just maybe she wanted attention or i I don't know some believe she killed them even on accident and staged the scene like they were trespassing or something that's possible but i don't know i mean why cut eleanor's throat why was her tongue removed if this was just an accident why would you do that 
And another theory is that Jane is another lover of Edward's, but there has been no proof of this. And another theory by an author who is a former attorney, William Kunstler, said that Edward Hall and Eleanor Mules were victims of the KKK, who at the time were against extramarital affairs. Williams, um, Williams says that was only a speculative theory with no evidence to really back that, which is, yeah. The KKK apparently had never knowingly killed in New Jersey either. So it didn't make sense. Others think a jealous lover did this. Eleanor was known, like I said, to have had at least more than one lover, and Ralph was one of them. And apparently Edward had other lovers as well. Maybe the person who did this was jealous of, well, obviously both, but possibly Eleanor because she had the worst of it. And you must be wondering about James Mills. He can't be dismissed 100% and neither can Frances Hall. I mean, I know she was acquitted, but they can't be dismissed. And that's basically everything. They, James Mills wasn't really 100% looked into, but he wasn't 100% dismissed either. And that is the end. There's no resolution to either case, and it's insane. And like I said, yes, they're extremely older cases, and that doesn't mean they don't deserve to be figured out. So I hope... Someday something will come out of these cases, but I'm not sure if that'll happen. They're both very weird. The problem with the first one is that nobody really knows anything about him. And then with the second case, there was too many, too much foot traffic, too many people talking. And it, it was exciting for those people because, you know, it's different. Something that they, I don't understand why they let them all. Like, I read an article that said, oh, the police, um, there were so many people that got into into the crime scene that the police either just didn't want to try to stop them or they, they couldn't stop them from coming in. So, who knows? Um, and that's everything for today. You guys have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you next time.